I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. This episode is all about our children. With parenting expert and childhood developmental psychologist, Dr. Eliza Pressman, who's also the host of the podcast, Raising Good Humans. Dr. Eliza and I talked about all things that plague working parents, including how to deal with our kids and their underlying anxiety as we are in transitional phases, whether it's going to an office when you are working remotely, transitioning from summer schedules to back to school schedules, COVID. It's all about building their emotional resilience and how we treat anxiety, theirs and ours. Today's Second Shift webinar is with Dr. Aliza Pressman who, full disclosure, is one of my closest friends in the entire world and makes me like just so happy to see your face on Zoom because you're based in LA and I haven't seen you in months. And I am also not only a devoted friend, I'm like a disciple and you are a parenting guru to me and to so many others of my friends and colleagues. And now, you know, the wider world has you at their fingertips because of your podcast. So I'm going to give you like the most glowing introduction ever and make you feel so uncomfortable because I know I'm already uncomfortable. I know how much you like praise, but this is basically going to be your worst nightmare for 45 minutes. I'm going to tell everybody that you're just a complete genius. Okay. (laughs) So move on. She's a childhood developmental psychologist, PhD. She's a parent educator. She's the creator and the host of the podcast, Raising Good Humans, which if you don't listen to it, you should immediately download it because she basically reads all of the parenting books that you could possibly want to read based on all the experts from like toddlers to teens. And then she takes that information, she digests it, and then she gives it back to you in like the bullet points that you need so that you can go off and be the best parent that you can. And um, and then she's also the co-founder of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center and the Seedlings Group. And the Seedlings Group has been something that's been a constant in my life since I had children because we have, she's not only a one-on-one parenting educator for people who need that, but also creates these mom groups or parent groups. And I've had the same group for the last like 11 years or so. And we've grown up together with our kids. And it's just like, it is something that I never miss ever monthly because I learn so much about myself, my version of parenting. And also I get to hear what other people are going through and know that it gets better and that we're not alone. So welcome, Aliza. That was really long, but I love you so much. And I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I love you too. I'm so happy that you gave this hour, however much time this conversation goes to the second shift and our members, because we're all in a place where, especially through the lens of working parents and working mothers, it's really a hard transition and there's a lot of anxiety and unknown. And we don't really know how to go from what we've been doing for the past 15 months and sort of figuring out what damage has been done to our children and how do we make it better? And then how do you balance that now going back to work or, you know, sort of resuming life? Well, thank you for having me. And I think women working, 
women have been hit in a way that is disproportionate to what anybody could have imagined. And so everybody's kind of suffering and now coming out of what, especially, I mean, in the United States, coming out of what was super intense, but now there's this new thing of like zero to 60, all of a sudden, just like getting back into the world and navigating that, knowing our kids have slowed down along with us. That's an important thing to think about as the summer, not approaches, it is summer, I guess, pretty much. And really the most important thing, and I'm sure everybody's heard this a million times, but you absolutely have to figure out how to care for yourself, the caregiver, in order to best support your children's mental health. That's just full stop. If you're a mess, they can't thrive. So you want to take the time for yourself and not give up those, you know, as you're trying to figure out how to do it all, don't give up the things that that nurture you. I'm not saying like go to a spa all day, <laughs> just take time to connect with friends, to do some mindfulness work or just breathing work or anything that gets you in the same headspace as a person who's just working on self-regulating, like at the gym, only for your emotions. And then hugely important is accept as everybody has come to learn a little bit that we just don't have any reason to believe that we should cling to certainty anymore. Like that's only going to cause suffering because there's nothing you can do to make this bigger world certain. But what we can do are like, know that this is what we eat for breakfast. And these are the things that we're doing throughout the day to schedule important moments like taking a walk or eating healthy food or doing whatever it is that you need to do laughing. You have to make that predictable because nothing else is. And when you do that for yourself, you will do it for your kids. And when you do it for your kids, they do better. I mean, it's very simple. Obviously, if there's a clinical issue going on, that there are bigger things to do and you need professional support. But for many people, you can do a lot without extra support. You need to find at least one friend of support. I noticed that some of the anxiety and like control piece, like you said, we have no control over things. And it's true. And we, I kind of think we've all been like fooled in this exact moment to thinking that like, oh, it's back to normal and this is what's going to happen. And then this, and then this. And then I had a recent experience where like everyone had all these, you know, there's this birthday party and all the kids were going to go. And then, you know, you don't expect it right now, but somebody got COVID from their grandfather. Oh, wow. Who had been vaccinated. And it destroyed the birthday party. All these families are now in lockdown. The kids are supposed to go to camp. And you're like, oh, no, we were just kidding ourselves that we thought that we were back to normal and that things were okay. And I've noticed my kids being like, well, what's the plan? Mm -hmm. What's the plan? What are we doing? And for like so many months, there was really not a plan. And they had, everyone had learned to roll with it. And now that we're back into a place where there's, there's more things that we're doing or places we're going or people you're seeing, they're internalizing that idea and keep asking me, well, what, what's next? What are we going to do? What's, what, what's, what's happening? Yeah. And I feel it too. So I think we're, we're all feeling it. I mean, the thing that is really important for kids that has been this whole time anyway, none of this, it's not like there's like now that there's been COVID, there are new best practices or something 
or the world became less predictable. It's really just where our awareness of it is just much more realistic. But I think what you said is important, just like the fact that they're asking what's next or what comes next is information that they need to know as best as we can, what our plan is with always the understanding that things change. We've learned that. And it's the naming that for kids so that they don't have to sit in that uncomfortable feeling without knowing what's happening. So we're never taking away uncomfortable feelings and we cannot remove anxiety. Like the goal isn't even to take away anxiety. The the goal is to learn how to move through anxiety and know that you get out the other side and you're still 10 fingers, 10 toes. And what we can want to do is push the anxiety away or solve for the anxiety. And that's only just a quick bandaid for our comfort. Like when our kids are feeling in any way dysregulated, we often want to fix it because we don't like how it feels. Because of course we love them. So like who wants to watch someone you love hurt in any way or struggle, except that the longer term gain of letting them know that the world doesn't stop when they have these feelings, but actually it makes sense that they have them. And you're curious and you want to know what does it feel like in their body? And, you know, maybe even what new feelings you're having, and then you can redirect them. You know, here's what we know for sure. I just want to kind of pitch, not trying to remove anxiety, but trying to find ways to listen be curious and not solve for the anxiety. And then later come up with, you know, lists like what is predictable and what you know for sure is happening over the summer. And then when things change, instead of saying something like, but we knew things change, we got to roll with it, you know, saying things like, oh, that's so frustrating because it feels like you never can count on anything. And it seems like we keep pivoting. And that must be really hard. You know, what you can count on is that I'm here and let's think what else breakfast is here and, you know, just list the basics, but don't try to take away the, or say like, we're going to have an even better summer since this party was canceled. You don't need to do that. We don't need to turn things into a positive, you know, or take anything away. It can be as simple as what does it feel like for you when you don't know what's happening? So Discussing this, I want to talk about going back to work. That is a really hard for a lot of people who have been home working from working. kids. Now you've got kids who there was some level of control in that because you were home, but maybe your kids were doing school or had gone back to school. And now your kids are out of school right when it's the time for you to go like back to an office or like work is ramping up like crazy. And there seems like there's like this dissonance where you're anxious, there's separation anxiety, you don't know, really know what you're supposed to do with your kids this summer. And people are really hesitant to embrace work or figure out how to be home with their kids. Like it's this very strange transitional moment, as you know, with your kids home and you're sitting here. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we're all in this like big suit. I'm never going back to an office, but um, okay. So one thing is to just, with all the things that you're saying and everything that's on everybody's mind is just being incredibly compassionate with yourself because you will get this wrong, (laughs) like a lot. So it's important to go into this transition time. I don't know what we can call it. So I'm just 
calling this one a transition time, even though I feel like we've done that already a few times this pandemic, but this feels like a big one. And so just finding some inner mantra where you can put your hand on your chest, which is not hokey. It actually is like a good way to calm your nervous system, gives you a little oxytocin hit, like a self hug. (sighs) Just have a thing that you say to yourself whatever it is, totally your own business and your private thought, but just, that's a reassurance. That's like, not, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And people like me, but just like, whatever is happening right now is what's happening. And my kids are going to be okay. And I'm okay. And then you might blow it and make the wrong decision, or they might be so upset because they've had so much of you. And now you're like, I'm out of here, or you weren't going out at night. And now you have nighttime plans and you're going to an office all of a sudden. And just, it feels like a total shift. And there's a lot of guilt in there. There's also energy, like people are depleted in a way that they might not have been prior. I'm obviously, as Jenny knows, a, a recluse. So, you know, like I know I get depleted by too much, but you have to both push yourself to do it so you can connect in the world and also make sure you don't do too much so that you don't put yourself in a position of getting overwhelmed so that by the time you are supporting your kids, you're just like, I have nothing left. And for them, just knowing that this is going to be like, even if they're old enough that separation isn't typically an issue, but all of a sudden they're clingy, just know that that's another thing to name for them. Half of getting through the experience of any challenging feeling is saying out loud what you're feeling. That's a big half. And it takes almost no effort whatsoever in theory. Cause it's just like, you just say a sentence, but we are not actually people who say how we feel and name how our body feels or how, what we're thinking about in that way. And it's just a simple thing, but it does help guide your kids to, Ooh, it felt good to just admit that I was scared about that or Anytime you can try in small ways to say like, I'm going to work and then I'm going to meet somebody after work. And I haven't been out and about like that in a really long time. And we haven't gone that long from seeing each other in a really long time. Let's see what happens today. So you can have like some curiosity about it and not just dread, but there's an acknowledgement that it's also maybe not awesome. So again, you're not saying like, and then we're going to go to parties and we're going to get to go to a camp and there's going to be play dates and we haven't had that in so long. And isn't this so great? It's not so great for some people. So you don't have to, if you ever catch yourself convincing yourself or your kids with like a positivity wand, just like let go of that because sometimes it becomes this forced story your kids might have to tell themselves or they feel guilty like or confused about why they don't feel that way. You want them to get, this is what it is. It's tough. It's hard. It's confusing. It's sometimes fun. And sometimes it's tiring. Mixed feelings are an important thing to name for kids right now. And again, for adults, everybody's so excited to do something, so excited to get back to work, so dreading it. <laughs> you can you can hold two things that seem opposing as truths because we're complex people. And that's a cool thing to explain to your kids, even three-year-olds. An easy way to explain mixed feelings is when you're eating an ice cream cone, but you're full and you still want the ice cream for a younger kid because it's just so good. And you know, it's so good, but your tummy hurts. <laughs> and then for older kids, obviously you can use almost any example that you can think of. 
I'm inappropriate. <laughs> not not an inappropriate. <laughs> what about saying miss you? Like I'm going to miss you. People re- reflexively say I'm going to miss you, or you're going to go to. You know, I had a conversation with my kid, whose younger son is going to sleepaway camp, and I know from prior years and conversations that you know, saying I'm going to miss you. So he was saying I'm going to miss you. I'm afraid I'm going to miss you. I'm going to be homesick, and. It was yeah. so hard not to say, I'm going to miss you so much too. And I know that that's some, like, you know, if you're going back to an office or you're going out at night or you're doing all these things that traveling for work or whatever, you know, life even, what's the rule around miss you? If you're dealing with a kid who has separation anxiety or you feel anxiety around the separation. Well, the words I'm going to miss you are perfectly fine. I think it's the feeling underneath them. If it's, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to die without you. I can't believe you're leaving. This is terrifying. (laughs) That's the message. It's trickier. So for example, if your son says, I'm going to miss you, I'm worried. I'm going to miss you. I'm worried. I'm going to be homesick. You can say, you might miss me. I hope you miss me. I mean, I'm your mom and you're probably going to be a little homesick, just like all the other kids. And also you'll probably have fun because both of those things can happen and I'm going to miss you too. And I'm also going to have a lot of fun so that he's not worried about you, but he understands you love him and that you can have both of those things because our kids don't need to worry about us either. Like when we're sobbing because they're going off to sleepaway camp or something, but they can know, you know, of course I'm going to miss you. You're my child. (laughs) It's like, I love you. You're my baby and I'm going to miss you. And also I know this is going to be a cool experience. And even if it's a terrible experience, it's an experience. And one thing we want our kids to live with and grow up with and believe in is that the world is so unpredictable and interesting. There's a plane of possibility. It means we don't know. And that's not all bad. So even an experience where you're like crying every night, reading a book and being homesick at sleepaway camp, when you look back on it, will have been an experience that you can tap into. I remember that feeling. You can write with that feeling. You can do art with that feeling. You can think about being more empathetic towards others with that feeling. So even in the worst case scenario of sleepaway camp, it can be reframed as you know, an experience. And it doesn't have to be that it's going to not have some of the pain stuff. And I would also have a plan. Like, so what's your plan when you're homesick? And some kids will be like, here's what I'm going to do. I have a ritual. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to take your shirt and I'm going to cuddle with it or whatever the plan is. But you might, if they don't have a plan, you might say, do you mind if I give you an idea? I used to bring a little homesick jar with little things in it from home that reminded me of home or made me feel good. Or you can help them come up with some kind of plan because another thing that is in our sort of charge is helping them figure out how to plan. It's the sort of metacognition of like, they can think about their thinking and feeling, and then they can make a plan of action sometime when they're not feeling those thoughts. Like you want to do that in advance you know, in an ideal world, you can't always do that. But if you've said, yeah, that seems, you know, you might be homesick. You also might not be homesick. And there is no right or wrong feeling about whatever the experience is, because that's another really important message for kids is 
there's no right or wrong feelings. Feelings are free to all to have. And there are, there's just a range, you know, even saying good versus bad feelings is kind of crappy of us because we do it all the time because we know which feelings are good. And there's a shorthand to it. But if you can shift them to sort of easier and more challenging feelings, we're less afraid of them. It's a good way to think about it. A lot of people, myself included, just let go of so many household rules, whether it was about where kids sleep, devices, bedtimes, access to screens, just all of it in to just cope. We all let it go. And it's this tricky moment where now it's summer. So normally in the summer, you let it go. (laughs) When you let it all go anyway. So it's like, do we, A, how do we put those boundaries back into place? When is the appropriate time to do that? Is it silly to do it now when the summer's here? Is it something that we work on as we get back into school and make a plan about it? And I feel like everyone's really stressed out about how much we've given away in terms of specifically screen time, I think is in like video games and, you know, candy and eating, just all of the things that we sort of place. Yeah. What are we doing? How do we get it back? Because like, this feels like it's a little out of control. Um, Well, first of all, yeah. And Everyone is experiencing it. The studies that are coming out off of COVID are confirming that you're, you know, you guys are not the only people. We're all letting things go that we didn't let go before. Some in some ways it's great, in some ways it's out of control. Also, everybody's exhausted. Rules are hard to maintain in the household because they require more work for us, all that. And there was a lot of guilt at the beginning of the pandemic and in the middle of the pandemic. And you know, there's so much guilt about what our kids are not experiencing. But I would say as things are opening up and as the world is making new opportunities, it's a great time. Forget that it's summer because if you go more off the rails, it's probably going to manifest in behavior stuff with kids because everybody, including adults, does better with some predictability. And we know that there's very hard, as we talked about, it's hard to get anything that's predictable except for the rules of the household. So I would say commit this week to what the bedtime-ish ideas are, what the late nights are going to be, what the TV rules are going to be. It doesn't mean that they need to be stringent, but just commit to them so that they exist and tell your kids and let them know, you know, we all need a little bit of this because we haven't had it in so long and all of us are feeling less comfortable. Kids are a mess right now because it doesn't feel safe when your parents are like, Ugh, I don't care, just do whatever. <laughs> like yeah. if that keeps happening, which it did all year, there's that sense from the kid's perspective of like, who's in charge, who's running this show? And so even though it feels fun to kind of run your own ship, It's after a while, it's really scary and exhausting. So I would say grab hold now, but decide like, you know what? Fridays and Saturday nights are going to be our late nights, but it's not going to be every single night. It's our late night. And it's not going to be another special occasion tonight. So we're doing blah, blah, blah. Or decide in advance, we're going and walking and getting ice cream every single night. That's going to be our summer tradition. But then there's something about that that was planned and it feels less chaotic and it feels less like the grownups have lost their... Yeah. And maybe it's like 
okay, we're not going to go back to hardcore rules that you have during the school year, but it's a way to to start to pull back a little bit of rules or some sort of boundaries or, you know, moving in that direction. Cause yeah, exactly. Number before we know it. And all of a sudden it'll be like, Oh no, now we're, you know, and habits are hard to restart. And also a lot of kids are like for the parents and it's so much easier for the parents, but it's like the other thing to do, which is just, I mean, I can say personally, this, small thing, which was so important to me before the pandemic, I got really lazy about, which is removing screens from the bedroom, like no matter what. And even if you trust your kids and it depends on how old they are, but if they have a phone or if they have an iPad or if they have a computer, you don't realize it. But as we got lazier, kids started to not worry about, even if they weren't allowed or it was an unspoken, like, I'm just going to use that stuff. You have to pick it up and take it from them because we need somebody to do that for us too. It's really, really, really hard. And you're going to get pushback because there are going to be some kids who are allowed to be on their devices until one o'clock in the morning. That's just the way it goes. And even if your kids are like, but you, I used to get to do this and this is how I connect with my friends. You could say, and I love that you connect with your friends that way. And I'm excited for you to get to do it again tomorrow at this time. Um, And it's just about also getting comfortable with the pushback, but it needs to happen because this is not something kids regulate on their own. I was going to ask what happens when your kid then totally freaks out because they are having, and they're, they're having emotional outbursts in a way that they didn't about things that they didn't before, like turning off a video game or like plan changes or, you know, whatever it is, the reaction is so big. How, How do you deal with that? Well, I think that that's information like, and you can even say that your emotions are telling me and your behavior is telling me what's going on here and what's important to you. And you can be there for them in the big reactions, but it actually means you need to give more structure for them because they need it. And so one of the things is also not to be afraid of the massive pushback and the big reactions, especially again, if you feel guilty. And so you see you're like sweet, child melting down and it just feels like he's suffering. You know, I cannot make him suffer more by having this hard feeling, but that's when you tell yourself, I'm here for this child. Like, that's the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to fix that. Like if you have a tantruming toddler, you can't stop the tantrum that like, that's not the thing that's helpful for the child. It's that you're there in the storm And you're making sure they're safe and they know that there's this loving presence, but you're not going to take, you're not going to like give them the thing they wanted that will help them stop tantruming because that wouldn't be healthy for them. So it's, it's the same idea with older kids of like, okay, this is going to be a miserable moment for you. And I'm, I love you and I'm here for it, but I'm definitely still not giving in. And so they might say something that sounds nasty that's not the time to discipline them because of the way they're speaking to you because they're not in their right brain. So it's like, what's the point? So that that's, that's our work when our kids are flipping out to figure out how to take a few deep breaths. And remember your job in that moment isn't to negotiate, fix, deal with nothing except be there. And like a person who isn't rudderless, like your ship is not going to sink right now because of this storm And they can feel like, okay, they're safe in being out of control. 
And then once they calm down, then you can say, we got to talk about this. We have to figure out what to do when you can't have the screen anymore because it really makes you upset. And I need to know how much you want. Here's how much I'm willing to give. And then we got to figure out a way for you to be more comfortable with that transition because it's not changing. My job is to give you sun, water, and soil. You got to grow in a healthy way. So it would be me not doing my job if I heard that you're upset and I said, you know what, take another hour. So that's just mostly on us. Now, what about, let's just talk about older kids and the impact this has had on depression and self-harm and really like things to look out for, you know, devices and things like that seem almost like manageable and doable. It's hard work and it sucks to get your kids to get out of the basement when they want to stay downstairs and play video games all day. But, you know, that's one problem when it veers into bigger problems. How to, what are the signs to look for and what to do if that's something that you're really worried about? Well, if you're really worried, I mean, first of all, it's important for all parents to know that anxiety and depression don't look the same in young people as they do in adults. So like you think of a depressed person, your friend that can't get out of bed, that, you know, like just doesn't get pleasure in day-to-day stuff and you kind of know they're closing up or they're holding up or whatever and you check on them. But with young people, it's a lot of times it comes across as anger and outbursts. And yes, also maybe not deriving pleasure from things they previously derived pleasure from, but there's so much anger and anxiety. So just to be aware of that, that you find yourself battling with your teenager, with your tween or younger, you know, school-age kid, And it feels like, why are they so angry? And it really is, they are experiencing anxiety or or symptoms of anxiety or depression. And so if it does feel sort of hard to contain and it feels like they need support, then asking them, would it be of interest to you to have someone that you can talk to about what's going on for you, where you don't have to worry what I think or what my feelings are. And you can just think about what's going on for you and get them support. And if they're not interested, you know, talking to your care provider, because it is important. The numbers are staggering. I don't even want to say the numbers of DSM diagnosis in adolescents because it's like, it's such a huge number. There's like 20% of teenagers present with symptoms of depression or anxiety. That's an enormous number clinically, like not just like I'm a little feeling this way, but clinical symptoms. So it is important to pay attention and get help. It's important to name those things. It's important to not make it out like, you know, you got to grow a thicker skin or whatever. And some of it's also biology. Like some of us came into this world with a temperament that was a little more sensitive. And so the environmental shifts that occur hit us harder. And some of us came into this world more like dandelions and we're going to be fine no matter what. And so you need to know who your kid is. And when you combine their temperament with their, the behaviors that seem like, wait a second, this is more outbursts than usual. And it's, you know, pretty persistent. It's been going on, not just for a couple of weeks, then you get outside support. And that brings me back to the last question just about re-engaging. So if you have a kid who seems like they just want to sit in the basement because that's what they've been doing and they're 
happy doing it. Maybe yeah. they're like you and they just are like, no, this is my <laughs> Well, either way, I would say like, even in the way you manage me, for example, it's like, you'll come and say like, we're going for a walk right now, even if you didn't want to make plans. <laughs> but I think you, this seems so obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. One hour of activity per day, like physical activity, aerobic activity, a walk is so protective of mental health. It's mind blowing that something that small can be so protective. And yet there are many days where it's really hard to find that time. And so if a kid is wanting to sit in the basement and play video games, one thing you can do is say, here's the thing. One of the rules for sure is for every X number of minutes of video games, we are doing X number of minutes outside. It's summer. It's important. The fresh air is important. And moods change drastically at the beginning of a walk versus at the end of a walk. Drastically. So, you know, if you do have a kid who's also being nasty or angry or whatever, sometimes you also can say, we don't need to talk. We're just going for a walk. And both of you put your headphones in and you don't have to talk to each other, but chances are you'll start talking because, you know, the mood will shift quickly. We're still the parents. So like, even though there's a collaboration with our kids as they get older and you want to problem solve and get their input on how to solve these things and what they plan on doing, you can still also say, also, we're going for an hour family walk per day. Even if it's an hour walk, half hour to the ice cream shop and a half hour back, it's still just like part of a healthy, because what you want is building your resilience bank so that when times get really tough, you have a full bank. And you have like coping mechanisms. Exactly. And you know, like basically what happens, yeah, like, oh, right. I always feel better when I take a walk and here's my feel better playlist and have them make a playlist for the walk. You don't have to talk. You know, plenty of kids don't want to chat, but they do want you like a cat. I love that advice. You gave me that advice that you have to, when your kids are little, you're like a dog. <laughs> yeah. Older, you're like, cat. I, I am all dog myself. So as you know, it's very hard for me to just be like, oh, you don't want here minding my own business. <laughs> but it's important. I'm going to let you go. I think we touched every question and before this just goes, I could talk to you for a hundred million years, but like we really touched on all the things that people had their questions. I am so appreciative of your time. I know how valuable it is and how busy you are. And I'm so appreciative of your time and all of your time. And I know how valuable all of your time is. You gave such great advice. And so much of it is just like stopping, dropping and thinking in the moment so that we can remember to act on the advice and not just like yell and scream or be reactive. So this is my summer homework and I appreciate you so much for being here. Aliza, I'm going to put up all of your information so that people can find you. And I highly recommend Raising Good Humans. If you liked this conversation, you basically get this on repeat all the time with different topics and it's like game changer. Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Elisa. Bye, everybody. Thanks for participating. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.